Hello and welcome to the first episode of Series 2 of Death Nerve, a horror movie podcast. Uh, if this is your first time listening to Death Nerve, the idea is simple, it's just me, Rob Saunders, chatting to various funny and interesting people about horror films. In this episode I talk to award-winning comedian and writer Elf Lyons about the 80s Italian splatter classic Demons. Uh, Elf is amazing, she's a huge horror fan as well. She has a new um, horror radio play coming out on Bandcamp on March 15th called Gorgon, A Horror Story. Um, which sounds amazing. I've put the links in the description, so uh, definitely go to that and download that when you can, because, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be great. We talk about her inspiration for Gorgon and uh, how that show came about, uh, Elf's introduction to horror in general, and uh, her love for Stephen King. Yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. First question I always ask is, are, are you a, a horror fan? Are you a fan of horror films and horror in general? Totally. Completely. So, so involved in horror. I get really annoyed, actually, when... I'm not sure if any other... I'm sure loads of other women have this. But the other day, I had said to someone, oh my goodness, I love horror. And... The person went, oh my God, really? Like, are you okay? Like, are you are you okay about that? Like, as if being into horror is some sort of sign that perhaps you suffered a trauma in your past life. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, I think if you really admit that you love gore, people go, oh, oh that's so, oh, really? Oh, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? As if it's a sign of something demonic or it's this, it's so fat old, it's so 80s you know what I mean and that you know that fear of like satanic cults and teenagers going oh my god there must be something horribly wrong happening here (laughs) I just think no I'm I mean I love watching gore I mean it doesn't mean that I want to kill or harm anyone (laughs) if anything it shows that I've got a really healthy place to offset that anger (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah definitely um well I talk the the satanic panic I tick all the boxes I listen to heavy metal play Dungeons and Dragons and love horror films so you know I'm a (laughs) yeah this conversation is probably being spied on right now (laughs) yeah yeah so how how, what, what are your first experiences of horror where did what was where did your love for it start I it's you know what it's really funny in what well, I say it's really funny it's, I'm not going to deliver it in a funny way but I was I watched so much horror when I was a kid in that when I reflect on it now it was probably too much horror in that my parents just they didn't really censor us like we watched The Exorcist I remember on a family holiday when I was 10 and I remember why because it was just there was a really awful thing that had happened in the news and it was all over the telly and so my parents had a desperate bid to not let me watch what was going on in the news the only thing that was on on another channel was the German exorcist like the exorcist translated dubbed in German and I remember watching that at a very young age I remember being in bed whilst my mum and dad watched um the fly 
David Cronenberg's The Fly. And I remember watching The Shining many times when I was little. And we used to go on a family holiday to the Isle of Wight, to this amazing hotel called the Ocean Hotel, which has since now been completely wrecked and closed down. But it really had that sort of overlook hotel vibe in these really yeah. long corridors. And I always remember as a kid being haunted, being frightened walking down those corridors to make my way to the old fashioned sort of art deco swimming pool because I'd seen that film so young that it sort of stuck in my mind, stuck in my head. By the way, if you hear an odd sound, it is my guinea pig Ian McCollick <laughs> just deep throating the water bottle. But, um, yeah, so horror was always a huge part. And then weirdly... Sorry, this is a really long answer. That's fine. Uh, my nanny Squeak, every Friday night when I'd go and stay with her and my granddad Squeak and Elton, they would take me to Blockbusters and I would just rent. They would let me rent anything. I remember watching Final Destination with her in bed and that freaked me out. And I remember watching, you know, that old Snow White, the really old-fashioned one. I think I think it's got Signore Weaver. Like, that's too adult, I think, when you're a very young child. <laughs> yeah. Like I watched that very young. And then this was the turning point because I didn't watch horror for years afterwards. I watched Hollow Man starring Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And I just got so panicked that Kevin Bacon was going to rape me (laughs) that I just... I I got really bad obsessive compulsive disorder because my granddad then said to me, see, sometimes it's things that you can't see that hurt you, which when you say that to a child who's still in primary school, that really stays with you. And that was, Kevin Bacon was more scary to me than Jack Torrance, which (laughs) in some ways is probably a huge compliment to Kevin Bacon and his acting. And uh, if anything, probably the nicest compliment that film has ever received. (laughs) Um, But I couldn't watch horror after that. I was just, and then I went, I was so frightened. I was frightened of everything throughout my teenage years. And I had horrific nightmares. Couldn't go to the bathroom on my own. Couldn't turn the light off. Like, I'm still afraid of the dark now. But it's only suddenly in recent years that my love of horror has come back with an absolute vengeance. Yeah, what, what, what was it that brought you back? Was there a particular film, particular moment that brought you back into, into horror? I think. I remember reading Stephen King. I got a copy of Pet Cemetery from uh, a shop in Crouch End, like the old... No, I remember it so vis- so vividly. It was about 2014. I was doing a gig at Downstairs at the King's Head and I got a book from the charity shop. It was Pet Cemetery. I'd never read Stephen King before and I thought I'd give it a go. And then after that, I then went on a date to someone's house and they were like you need to watch Evil Dead and then I think the communal joy of cinema the communal joy of horror hit me at the same time as being absorbed into the work of this man Stephen King who I've now got the tattoo of the haiku on my arm oh really yeah from it yeah Mm. so I'm really hoping that when he dies that no news comes out that he was a nonce because otherwise it would really I think Stephen King's one of the good ones he seems like one of the good ones yeah I think he is I think he's got a few issues with disabled people in his films but I think I, I I think he's working through that, or I hope he is. He definitely seems a I bit mean, more I woke think... than like a lot of the people his age that you see on like Twitter and things. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, he's definitely written better regarding acts, you know, people of colour and also, you know, women and abuse victims and children. I think he is a lot better at writing than, you know, more varied characters than a lot of his contemporaries. Contemporaries or colleagues? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I am... Um... Like I think Stephen King, especially Pet Cemetery, is quite a heavy one to go into. Pet Cemetery, like the themes of that book, are quite uh, quite deep and quite uh, quite upsetting, really. It's the yeah. Last line, it's so upsetting, and I think he says in the introduction that it's the book that he often thinks he went too far on. Mm. And it's upsetting. It was then made into such a terrible film <laughs> recently. Yeah, the new. I quite. I really enjoy the older, like the um, original f- film of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I always thought, oh, they could do a really good version of that book, a really good new version of it. And when that new one came out, I got very excited. I went to see it on my own at the cinema. Yeah, very, dis- oh my God, very disappointing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so disappointing. It's And it was unfortunate because I think it went through a period of time where recently there was every film seemed to be a Stephen King adaptation or, you know, Stephen King inspired or an adaption of. So when that came out, I was thinking, ooh, this is, I, I feel like maybe this could have been done really well. You know, I was pleasantly surprised by the first It. I thought the first It was genuinely very, very good. Um, and I was really excited when the second part two came out. And then I thought part two was the biggest pile of, of wank I'd ever sat I think through. that's the problem with It as a book and the older version of it as well. I think the story with them when they're children is really good. That's the best bit of the book, the best bit of both of those versions of the film. And as adults, it loses a bit of steam. But like that film, the, the second part film was, yeah, it was a bit all over the place, wasn't it? And also it just went off from the book mm. as well. Just look, okay, ignore what happened in the sewer but just just tell it how it is like just spend a bit more time on the script to work out how because it is complex what happens in the book what it actually is and what uh and what uh Zach is it Zach I can't remember his name what Zach sees you know the young guy who mm. ends his life like the revelation about why he took himself out of the game yeah and but in the second in the film as well it kind of as if gives an answer to a suicide it's like he killed himself for a good reason and you're thinking no don't try and talk your way out of this one big blockbuster (laughs) this is not let's not glorify this choice um it was i remember just laughing a lot during the second film and i was so upset because i thought oh this film this book is so personal to me why would you I don't understand when they've got all the facilities and capabilities how you can muck up a film how how you can muck it up like yeah. there shouldn't be any excuse I think uh, it they probably would have been better doing it as like a TV series or something like a mini series I think mm-hmm. there's so it's such a big like dense book it, so much stuff in it that um I think doing two films even that wasn't quite enough I think you needed to um spread it out a bit more and deal with those characters longer. It's just, when you think about The Shining as a film, like Stephen King didn't like it, and I can understand why, because it sort of, it didn't focus on the issues of masculinity and fatherhood and anger that the book is really about in so many ways, and the imagery of the wasps is just not included at all in the film. But at the same time, that film stands on its own as being a superb film. 
regardless of whether you know Stephen King's work, whilst when you watch the It films, they you can't separate them from the book in that you can't, they don't stand on their own as their own brilliant pieces of filmmaking. And that's what's really fascinating when you adapt horror. Yeah. Do you know? Especially Stephen King, because there's so many Stephen King adaptations um and so, like, I think about 90% of them are garbage, really. There's so few of them. Mm-hmm. But I, I love uh, the film of Misery. I think Misery's a great film. I think that's one that you mentioned <sighs> when I was chatting to you before, yeah. But Misery's a masterpiece as a book. Like, it is categorically a masterpiece. It's, like, about writing. It's really terrifying. I was too scared to go to the toilet after I finished it. And I lived in a flat with four other people and I was too scared to go to the loo. And I'd finished the book and I'd seen the film. I was so frightened because it just got into your head this anxiety about Annie Wilkes. And then the film just adds this layer of absolutely dark, sardonic wit. It's so... What did you love about it? The the film? Yeah. I think just Kathy Bates is so good in it. She's amazing. It's like, yeah. Did she win an Oscar for that? I know she is an Oscar. I know she's won an Oscar, I but I wonder if it was nominated. for... Yeah. I think she I don't know. I know she deserves to anyway. Yeah, it's it's rare for like horror films and stuff to be like Oscar bait, but I think uh, her performance oh. in that is unbelievable. Oh, she's so good. Because it's not a fun part. It's not a nice part to play. Is in it's not an attractive villain. There's nothing. Female villains, especially, tend to have a little bit of like sexiness to them, or that's sort of how they end up having to be be, be portrayed. But there is absolutely nothing likable in any aspect of that character. So it's a really layered. Well, I think she starts. She starts fairly likable, and mm. you know, it's like. A bit like a bit sort of a bit of a weirdo, like you know if that's the wrong word. But then again, I love the fact it sort of it unravels and unravels, and then by the end she is it's like you know it's almost like a slasher movie or something. She's like stalking them around the house, and it's yeah, it's terrifying, mm. amazing. And that build up about the lovely colonel, the lovely sheriff. Really yeah, the relationship works. between him and his wife in that is brilliant. That's amazing. And then it just pulls back and slaps <laughs> you in the face. Yeah. Because yeah. it's even darker in the book as well. Because there's more of them. There's like, and there's several opportunities, and then the pig gets brought in. <laughs> I still remember that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mis- yeah, misery is definitely like one of my favourite Stephen King adaptations. I think The Shining is like it's almost it's almost too obvious to be like the best one, but it probably is. I think I prefer the the Stanley Kubrick Shining to the actual book, which I know as you, you're a big Stephen King fan might be a <laughs> might be a sacrilege, but you know I think the, that film is kind of perfect. Oh yeah, I I agree. I think it is perfect. My mum actually made me watch it when I was a kid, very young, but she made us watch the final bit in the maze. Right. She said, she said, watch out. She said, pay attention to what Danny does because Danny does something really clever. And so me and my little sister watched it and she was like, see, Danny knows he's in a trapped situation. So rather than continuously running forward and leaving footsteps in the snow, he takes a big risk that we often forget that we can do which is stop moving and he walks backwards in his own footsteps which is something that sometimes when you're so terrified you think the worst thing to do would be to go backwards but actually because he does that he lives and now and now you can go to bed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that's excellent advice. It's great. There, there is definitely something like cathartic about watching like horror. I think as like when you were a kid, I, I did anyway. I mean, we seemed like we were both watching films that we shouldn't have been at a very young age. There's just yeah. I think like it was the, you mentioned the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead was the one that just like messed me up. My older brother was very much into horror films and still is. He just used to show me, you know, film the most gory, horrible film just to see, just to wind me up. But now I understand, like, why I get it. Yeah. Do you um? Do you, were your parents into horror films? Not really. My dad, my dad was less like concerned about what we were watching, like. But my mum never, never used to let me watch like scary films and gory films and stuff. But um, strange enough, action films are okay. So films where people were getting shot and like films like RoboCop and stuff were fine, even though they're still very, very violent. But like horror films. Never, and apart from when my brother was a bit older and he'd sneakily like, let, like show me the Evil Dead and like the early Peter Jackson films and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that line between when it becomes horror and when it becomes action. I was thinking about this. I started listening to this book called American Dirt, and the opening quote, the book recommendation, is from Stephen King, which is interesting because it's not a horror. It's written as like a family drama thriller. And it's about a woman and her son trying to cross cross over from Mexico into America and trying to, you know, the migrants getting on the trains. So you just think, oh, you know, this is a sort of a semi-political book. It's a book about contemporary issues. It's fiction, but it's about a non... It's about a real scenario that happens every single day. And it's going to be quite gritty and it's going to be quite gruelling. But you'd sort of consider that as a drama. But honestly, listening to the first hour, because it's on Audible, it re- it's like a horror. Everything about it is a horror, especially to do with the cartel yeah. <laughs> in Mexico. It is a horror. But if I think if it was marketed as a horror, people who like horror would might go, well, this isn't horror. And people who who don't like horror would not have access to it because they go oh i don't like that Mm. but actually it really sits perfectly between the two like when does something become horrifying yeah i always think of uh, silence of the lambs as that because i remember when that was coming out and that was a big again that was a very like one oscars and stuff but it was never it wasn't really marketed as a horror was it it was marketed Mm -hmm. as a thriller but i think silence of the lambs is very much a horror film yeah and um also, in some respects, Alien. Mm. Alien, for a, a huge part of it, is quite calm. Well, I mean, that's the power of it, because nothing happens, and it's all about the power dynamics between them all. It's all about who's in charge, and then that's all subverted. I was reading a book recently about analysing horror films, and it's interesting, because I don't think Silence Under the Lambs is included, and neither is Alien, because the Alien goes into the sci-fi realm. yeah. But then you could say, like, The Thing, which is my favourite film, is, is like, that's a, more of a sci-fi film than it is horror, but that's, again, very much a horror film. And uh, you mentioned The Fly, which is, again, there's a definitely a fine line between science fiction and horror. I think mm-hmm. they're, like, the same, in the same ballpark, I think. I think it's also once you bring the body into it, once the body, the human body, starts to be mutilated or infected in some way that's when it takes it into a different realm i don't know yeah no the fly is well, all of david cronenberg's like early stuff is good for that but like the fly in particular like i remember seeing that when i was way too young to see it, it was on tv 
I remember it was on. My, it was my birthday, and I had like loads of friends around for like a sleepover, and we had you know you put on a scary film to watch it, and yeah, that oh, that was too much I think for us. But because we were you know it was all the the machismo of oh yeah no we can handle it, but we're all there just you know shitting ourselves and just like not being able to handle the gore, the body horror. Oh no, absolutely not. Oh, it's always so funny when those memories of being a teenager and trying to watch something a bit scary and being really really frightened. We, um, I remember watching Gothica on a oh, di- yeah. on a fa- uh, like a sleepover. We must have been about thirteen, and we were sleeping in like my mate's like shed, like garage. I mean, we were like one minute away from mum and dad upstairs, but we felt really separate. <laughs> and after we'd watched Gothica, which also is not that frightening, there was thunder and lightning. And we were absolutely in a state, <laughs> like in a state. Yeah. Well, like you, you said about the sort of um, watching films as a group, like the sort of, I think horror films, comedy films and horror films are the best to watch in a group. There's something about mm-hmm. watching like a big group of a bit in the cinema or at home on video or whatever, watching like a, a scary film. It's like a bit of a cheesier sort of jump scare sort of film. Oh, I love it. I love that. I, I miss that. Oh, once this is over and we all can go like to the Prince Charles cinema <laughs> and just sit and watch sit and watch a film. I've seen The Thing there actually a oh, amazing, of times. Yeah. They relay a few years ago they showed The Thing at like the local city worlds and stuff. They sort of put it around. There was three showings at my local cinema and I just bought tickets for all three. I just sat in the cinema all day and watched The Thing three times. <laughs> Wow, I mean that's insane. <laughs> I did, I did feel a little bit like it was like you know I was had lost my mind by the end of it, but it was worth it. Why, why did you do that? Like, I'm not I, judging in any way. I'm just intrigued. <laughs> I just love that film so much. To me, that film is just like a perfect film. I love it, um, and I'd never seen it on like on, on the cinema before. You know, it's a film I'd seen so many times on video and DVD and Blu-ray, mm-hmm. but I'd never seen it on like the, a big screen, and it was like a new sort of HD version of it. And I, I had to go, and I don't know why I had to watch it three times in a row. But it was quite good because I had different groups of mates come into each screening, so I had a different experience. Like there was a few that had never seen it, a few that like me had seen it hundreds of times, and then it was great. It was yeah, a brilliant day. Wow, <laughs> I feel a bit embarrassed how much of a nerd I am now. No, don't ever feel embarrassed for being who you be, being the truth. I love that. Yeah, it was it was fun. You chose a film to talk about for the episode, and you chose uh, Demons, which is one of my fa- again another film that I love. It's one of my favourites. We spoke about very classy films so far. Demons, not quite as classy as uh, Misery and uh, The Shining, but but Demons is perfect. It's really funny. My friend it was really ill a year ago, and she's very um. So she writes for the Telegraph, okay. So just to, so she's like she's got like this job, quite serious. Her family are quite serious, and she got very very ill. And she just said, you know, most of the stuff that they were watching on telly, cause she was at, she was having to be at home with her mum and dad while they looked after her. She was like, there's just nothing that I can really watch that's giving me any joy. Like I don't know crime dramas etc. Just nothing's giving it to me. And so I sent her a copy of Demons and Demons <laughs> Two in the yeah. post because I thought actually this is the perfect ill film. It's the perfect bed day film. Yeah. If you don't want something soppy and you don't really want you don't want to go your full on funny games or Eden Lake, I'm gonna fuck you up forever horror. Yeah, yeah. You want something that's so 
over the top but so enjoying its over the topness but still well done you know it's not like sharknado <laughs> you know one yeah, of those yeah. types of awful films it's like the graphics and special effects are pretty good there's some really interesting choices for shots you're never bored the pace does not stop it's got a kick-ass soundtrack <laughs> and it's a lovely pullback and reveal at the end yeah no it is you're right i couldn't agree more with everything you said then it's just uh especially with those sort of lower budget sort of italian sort of schlocky movies so few of them actually deliver on the sort of there might be a few gory bits or a few and they're but they're very normally very slow and talky but demons is not at all it starts they get into the cinema and it just kicks off and it just doesn't stop until it get it ramps up it gets more and more insane by the end it's just like a helicopter bursts through the, the ceiling and they're off and they're off and i also enjoyed the selection of characters that's yeah. what's really interesting. They're not just normal cinema goers. Like the lady who first becomes a demon is a sex worker. Like, <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's interesting choices that you have a pimp and two sex workers. You have a blind man <laughs> with his like daughter. You've got loads of couples. You've got some really odd boys. You've <laughs> yeah. got some really weird lone people. Like, and then also the pimp ends up becoming in some ways quite a likeable character. Yeah, Tony the, the Pimp. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like, let's just get out. And that weird man who gives you the... F- I like the fact the film offers you more questions than it answers, which can sometimes be really annoying with films. Like, especially when there's clear... I think it's more annoying when everything happens and is fixed in the end because if everything happens well you think well what what is going on I I don't I don't it's you see it in that childlike logic of going it's not fair for it to work out all well when <laughs> yeah, you've yeah. cheated but when it goes awful <laughs> and it causes you to ask more questions, you're like, oh, I like the mystery of this. <laughs> yeah. Just who is this weird guy flyering for this metropole? And why does it suddenly just become boarded up with bricks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bit, bit I'm always confused about it is the there's the lady that takes the tickets. The She's got the, the green dress lady who takes the tickets. But she ends up getting killed. So at the beginning, you assume she's sort of part of it. Part of the like, but then she ends up getting killed. So is she part of it, or is she just someone that you know works at the cinema that had like you know collateral damage almost? Like it just yeah. Yeah, the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> yeah. When when did you first see Demons? What was your like introduction to that film? I actually saw it three years ago with my ex boyfriend. It was. It's quite funny. I keep on saying this. It's quite a funny story, and then do not deliver in terms of the humour or the gags at all. But um, so I used to go out with Rob Kemp, who does the Elvis Dead, yes, who yeah. is like a fantastic, it is a massive horror, horror nut. Um, and it was New Year's. And I basically, I'd booked us like a really fancy restaurant for us to have a New Year's dinner because I didn't drink. And so I didn't really want us, I didn't really want to go to a big party and feel like I might drink. So I was like, how would you feel if we just had like a cool dinner? And then, you know, you just did something a bit low key. And he, we agreed that sounded like a great idea. And then I basically got really bad diarrhea and got 
really, really sick with what I think must have been food poisoning or something the day before New Year's. And we went to this beautiful restaurant to have this meal in Peckham. And it was like so many courses. It was really affordable. It was like 30 quid for like seven courses each. Um, There is a point to this. I'll come to demons. (laughs) But I just looked at him after like the third dish was like oysters. And I looked at him and I went... I don't think I can stay here. (laughs) I don't feel very good. And he was like, okay. And then I had to look, because we hadn't been dating that long. I had to look him straight in the eyes and go, I have quite a big problem. (laughs) And I'm wearing a very short dress and fishnets. And I would like (laughs) us to get home. (laughs) So we ended up going back to my rented like flat. And setting up my mate's projector, because they'd all gone out to parties, because, you know, they're in their 20s. And I was so ill, I he had to quickly go out to, like, the pharmacy and get me some Dioralines. <laughs> grabbed some non-alcoholic beers for me, some alcohol for him. <laughs> and we just went through the hard drive on his computer he'd brought down and just watched films throughout yeah. the night, whilst I occasionally ran to the <laughs> toilet and ejected something (laughs) and that was like between the hours of like 1am or like 4am we watched demons and I I think that's why I say it's the perfect if you're feeling sick film because I was on my sofa wrapped in a duvet wearing a onesie feeling very sorry for myself and so it felt really nice to watch these people who've just gone out for a fun night at the cinema have a really horrible time (laughs) yeah the perfect film for FOMO (laughs) no yeah definitely yeah well (laughs) it's definitely a turning point of any relationship I think it's one that we used to have um like on video me and my brother it was one we used to just watch quite a lot my brother used to just go and like buy just old VHS tapes from like the local boot sales and the sort of cheesier and the sort of more schlocky the looking the better and we, that's just one of the ones that would stay on constant rotation was Demons. Um, yeah, love it. And it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's quite nice film to watch when you're ill. For me, it's almost like a, a comfort blanket of a film. It's like, yeah, films like that and Evil it Dead. Really and, it's is. Like, yeah. and especially once you know the ending, you start to realise <laughs> what the ending is. And I think that's also one of the strengths of it because it always gets slagged off for like not having that much character development. But for what happens... The fact you don't have so much knowledge of the characters kind of works to its yeah. advantage. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Yeah, it's um, it's. I always say like it's a film that. You no, know, when you meet someone and they ask you like what music you like, and you say you might show them an album or a song that sums up the music you like. To me, Demons is the film that I would show someone to sum up the sort of films I like. Like it's mm-hmm. sort of because it's it's gory. It's I love Italian horror films in general, um, and it's it's gory. It's fun. It's uh, got like rocking heavy metal soundtrack it's all yeah it's, it's like it was made for me really <laughs> that's that's the nicest feeling actually that it feels like it's been made for you yeah. like certain horrors do feel like that when they've really struck on what who their audience is yeah i was going to ask you is there a film that a horror film that you were really excited to see that you just couldn't that you were disappointed by or is there a film that's too scary for you 
Ooh, um, disappointed. There's been there's been several like like I said like the Pet Cemetery remake and lots of remakes and sequels of films that I really like. Generally, like I'll go and see them, give them a go. Like I'm not I'm not one of these people that say they shouldn't remake films because my favourite film is a remake. Um, you know, but and again we talk about the Fly a lot, a remake. Um, but is it? There, <laughs> yeah, the Fly, the um, original is uh, is it Vincent Price, the Fly? It's obviously oh a lot, goodness. a lot less gruesome and brutal. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry, I'm just registering that and just thinking about how have I not seen this? <laughs> I'm just slightly ashamed of myself. <laughs> and um, yeah, so like again, it's normally situations like that. But for films that are like too scary, or I don't know, I can't remember the last time I was properly scared by a film. Um, ooh, when I went to see Hereditary, I went to see that on my own at the cinema, and then like the walk home was mm-hmm. all I had. Like, not necessarily scared, but it was just a sort of... I just felt very weird. Like, I had a very odd, like, sort of that sort of half-hour walk back to sort of process it and was like... By the time I got back, I was like, oh, that film was actually quite affecting. But it wasn't, like, scary at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah. I got... We got told off for laughing during Hereditary. I just thought it was the funniest film. (laughs) It is a bit... There's... I think it really, like... That ending just ramps up. It sort of comes out of nowhere. Like, we were saying, like, like with Demons, it sort of... It starts fairly, like, pacey and just goes and goes and goes, whereas Hereditary, it's very slow-paced and a slow burn, and then that last, like, 15 minutes is just... Just out of nowhere insane. There's a difference between, like, a marathon horror film and then the sprints. Yeah, yeah. It's like with Piranha, which is such a terrible <laughs> film, but I quite like it in that it's like a nice amble of a jog. Yeah, I like I like Piranha. Yeah, yeah, it's, it knows what it is. That's what I like. It yeah. just knows what it is. Um, who, if you could have, if you could remake a film, any horror film, and it's promised that it will be done well. <laughs> And you could pick any cast. Who would it? Oh my goodness! What would the film be, um, and who would be in it? Okay, let's have a look over to my Blu-rays and see. Ooh. Well, I think when they the problem is when they remake films is that they tend to make films that are really, really good anyway. So mm-hmm. what you want to do is remake a film that's like has a good has good potential, but um, you know could be better. I think a lot of the sort of slasher movies they made after Scream, so the sort of late 90s slasher movies, some of them have like a really good like premise but don't quite deliver. There's one called um, Cherry Falls. Do you know this film? Have you seen this? No, I don't. So the idea of that, like the, the sort of typical like slasher thing is that the, the people that have sex in it are the people that are going to get killed by the killer. Whereas this is the opposite. He, the killer kills virgins. <laughs> So all the people in the town are trying to have sex to stop being killed by the sort of the sort of masked killer. And again, that's like a nice idea, and it's quite a good film. But like, I think uh, sort of just a sort of premise that sort of like subverts the sort of slasher sort of tropes and stuff. I think you've got yeah, some quite good ideas. So cast mm-hmm. cast wise, I don't know. Um, I think with those sort of films, you need sort of a cast of like unknowns, normally like people in their mid thirties playing teenagers. That's normally how slasher movies go. <laughs> or maybe just subvert it even more and just cast people evidently in their 60s <laughs> but still they've got to act totally like a sort of a 19 year old totally, like, I, yeah. I'd love that Vincent Price just being the jock <laughs> I didn't realise he was dead Yeah, I did not re- I was so embarrassed I went into a pitch meeting for a TV thing this was about a year ago and they were like look you can get we would love to get whoever you wanted for this horror idea you've got. So tell us, like, who would it be? And I was just like, oh, you know, like, 
Vincent Price, maybe Christopher Lee. And they just like all started joking along with me. And I didn't understand. I was like, oh yeah, they're probably, to be honest, it would probably be quite expensive. And they were like, yeah, well, I mean to like reanimate them off from their coffins. And then I just looked and then they realized I didn't know. <laughs> and it just became this whole meeting where they just revealed to me that certain people were dead, like Bob Hoskins, oh, no. Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. I, I was crying by the end of that meeting. Yeah. Sounds like a harrowing meeting, yeah, just all the list of your heroes. And are the gone, show yeah. never got made. <laughs> oh, that's even worse, yeah. They, they brought, they had uh, Peter Cushing in one of the new Star Wars films. They sort of CGI'd his face on someone. Like, you could do that. You could have a CGI Christopher Lee. It just won't be the same, though. Nobody can CGI no, no. Vincent Price. <laughs> um, what about you? You asked me, like, what, what film do you reckon would be good for a remake? A really, like you said, if it was good, done well, what would you go for? I think this is actually a personal. This is purely so. I We watched Eden Lake on my grandmother's 90th birthday this year in lockdown. And afterwards, my grandmother was really angry that this had been the decision. (laughs) And I chatted a lot about this, about Eden Lake, about, I think it's horrifying. It really affected me. It really, really, really upset me. The The whole experience was grueling. And I would want to remake it. I wouldn't want to change a huge amount, but I think perhaps the issues to do with class that it raises and maybe re, I think tonally, I think especially watching it now with distance from the time, you think this has so many problems with how it's portraying the different classes. Yeah. and the Like it's clearly making a really visceral point, but I do think there's some, I think it accidentally hit some really bad places and I think I don't I would wonder also personally I feel like you need to change the ending I do feel like and whether that that's me just desperate for a happy ending but you know what I mean by that point there's no such thing as a happy ending once you've gone through the lead character what they've <laughs> yeah. gone through but I do think there needs to be some sense of either redemption or because you either watch it and you think what is this for I, I don't know that's but I, again I wonder actually the success of that film is partly because it was so affecting and it made me so angry or oh, not Funny Games is one of those films which is sort of it really hits you like I couldn't watch it but I was very young I watched the first 20 minutes I went no I think I was about 15 16 I went no this is too dark this is too much for me I'm not into this mm. um the next episode of this podcast is going to be about funny games. Oh, is it? And I've, I've got, yeah, I've got to watch it, and I'm sort of like you said, going, it's a good film, but again, it's such a heavy, heavy film is it to the watch. Original I'm sort of like the original or the American? Watching is it, the original one, the original. Yeah, there's um, there's another film. I'll send it to you. Actually, um, it's a Dutch. I think it's a Dutch film. Oh, um, so it was made into a remake with Keith Sutherland and Sandra Bullock. Um, and it's about a, but I, I, I think that's one of those ones that could almost count as a horror film or is a horror film. And I'm going to Google it for you, actually, because I think you'd, because right. this is so, um, 
just thinking about funny games and what that's about and sort of questioning violence and the point of violence and why things are happening. I'm going to, sorry, this is so annoying and I'm in a podcast as well where you suddenly got someone Googling on their phone. That's fine. Sandra Bullock, Keith Sutherland film. The Vanishing. Okay. So that was oh, an American yeah. film and it's basically originally based from The Golden Egg. Would het het goodin goodin e is the vanishing um it's dutch and it was made into a film and it is absolutely terrifying but very slow build up the american version ruins it just thinking also because funny games obviously was they did an american version yeah well, the american version that is the same director and it's all it's basically the same shot for shot it's strange the american version of funny games it's like it's basically just a higher budget version of it the same film it's it's a bit like it makes you realize that people do not want to watch films that are good even if they're in a different language like (laughs) how many people probably have a watch parasite because oh i just struggle to read the subtitles i think people find it hard enough because no one can watch a film and not be on on their phone yeah and you how can you watch a film with subtitles if you're occasionally missing the convo to just like like a picture on instagram yeah yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. I have to sort of put my phone across the other side of the room when I'm watching films now. It really winds me up. I wish I had the self-control to sit and watch a film properly, but yeah. But Funny Games, would you say you enjoy it when you watch it? Uh, enjoy is probably... Yeah, probably not enjoy it. I guess it's... Like, I understand it. I get why it's, like, why the way it is, and it's, like, a, a clever film, I guess. But it's not one... Again, like Demons, like I would sit, I would happily just watch that once a week, just because it's like it's fun. Whereas I've, you know, I've, I've seen the original Funny Games. I went to see the American version of it at the cinema, which was again a weird, just a weird, a weird atmosphere in there at watching that. Um, do they do the rewind in the American version? Yes, they do do that. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very weird. Um, but yeah, again, it's not one. Not, again, like I said, I've got to watch it again because. Uh, there's a, the next guest is uh, cho- chosen that, and again, I, 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 yeah, I'm sort of not looking forward to it, but I am as well. I want to talk about it because it's a very interesting film, mm-hmm. but um, it's not a particularly like enjoyable. Same with Eden Lake. I've seen Eden Lake like once or twice. I think I saw I saw it at the cinema and um, seen it once since, but it's not one that I would just go to, especially on a grandparent's birthday. Yeah, oh, God, <laughs> why? Why was that? You know what's really funny? So with Gorgon. Yeah. Um, so I made Gorgon, we made a the immersive horror show, and then I've made the radio play, which is um, out, well, probably be out now by the time if this comes, when, I don't know when this comes out, 2025. Um, <laughs> but my mum called me and she said she watched a film with my nan, Nanny Squeak, called The Cleaning Lady, which was on Sky briefly. And it's again an independent American horror film, very gory, very dark. I really liked what it was trying to do, but she went, oh my goodness, it's Gorgon. It's a little bit different, but it's basically Gorgon. And I thought you'd like it. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Great. Brilliant. (laughs) But that's a really fun horror film I'd recommend. All right. Quite new actually from 2020. I can't remember what the point was in reference. It was, I think, enjoying watching something because it's pretty gory Mm. Um, well it's gore gore I can handle it's more well I think with funny games it's one of those things that's like I was talking to a friend recently about like things that scare you 
and I think how home invasion, just sort of that random home invasion idea, really like that really affects me. That I find that terrifying mm-hmm. that someone could come into like your house and just yeah, that that frightens yeah. me more than like you know a film like Demons or like the sort of ghost sort of films. I know I don't believe in any of that sort of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. you know it's kind of makes sense that some effect, people could yeah. just burst into your house. You know, yeah. It's why I've not watched The Strangers. Mm with Liv Tyler because I heard Stephen King saying that the scariest point is that moment in Strangers where Liv Tyler realises that she can't fit under the bed and I've not seen it but I read that quote and I thought that's really frightening because often in horror films everything fits you can get through the bridge gives in or the gate forces itself open or you have the power to bend the metal in a fence but the idea of simply not being able to fit into something in your own home to protect yourself and I do know that that sometimes when a film just seems to be watching people suffer yeah I don't know it sounds it sounds odd because obviously in demons everybody gets basically turned <laughs> yeah. into sort of flesh-eating zombies but I don't know why but it's so different and I wonder if it's the theatricality of it it's the style of filmmaking like if it's done in a naturalist realistic manner watching people suffer especially in home invasion it's too close to the bone whilst the stylistically of like the blockbuster slasher film everything's already slightly more stereotyped and heightened you're able to enjoy it for what it is it's why Black Wed- Black Christmas, the original, is actually really scary. Yeah, I love that film. That's one of my favourite films ever made, um, yeah. Black Christmas. Um, yeah. That final shot. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like, I think, like I was saying, it's, you know, like uh, the scariest things in horror is when like, you lose control of it. If you haven't got control of that situation. And that's why I think, like, in, in your own home is where you're supposed to have the most control, really, of the situation. And that's why I'm all, that's why it always affects me, especially, like you said, Black Christmas has that, where there's someone just sort of, is just in the attic, picking them off, is just sort of, you know, the, the calls coming from inside the house, you know, that, that stuff. Do you ever think about what you do? What I do if a home invasion? I do, yeah. but in, in your head you think, oh yeah, I'd lay him out with one punch, I'd jump out the window, but I know in real life I would just crumble like paper. <laughs> like, I'm not... You know, I don't think, you know, I, yeah. Yeah, I I often think about it. I like lie there and I sort of logically talk myself through what I do. It's it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> why do we do this? Yeah, I suppose it's better than not thinking about it, though. I guess there's like an evolutionary reason why you've got to like be conscious of like danger, isn't there? I guess if you're not thinking yeah. about it, if something bad does happen, then yeah. Do you think you'd ever make your own horror films or it's... make your own horror it's been a dream. I think it's. I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to make a, a slasher movie. Like a slasher movie is my favorite thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, Halloween, Friday. The, I, I watch the Friday the Thirteenth sequels way too often than someone should. They're like, you know, they're definitely not good films, but I love them. But I'd love to. Friday the Thirteenth is that the first one where it's the bit? Does it have the shot in the lake at the end? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen that one. I haven't seen the others. There. I mean. Yeah, they're good. They're fun. They're very fun. Like, they're just silly. And, like, there's the certain, like, 
you've got the tick of tropes you've got to hit. You know, group of teenagers. There's one that's going to play pranks. There's one that's gonna. There's going to be one girl that survives at the end and sees all the dead. But you know, it's you. It's again, it's like a comfort blanket of a film because you know, you know all the tropes or you know kind of what's going to happen throughout the film. Mm-hmm. But it's just just fun. But I'd love to do like a. I don't think there's enough like British sort of slasher movies. They're a very American thing, and I think like a British slasher movie that sort of plays with those like cliches, but in a sort of very like almost like if Ken Loach directed a slasher movie, that would be my ideal film. I think. I feel like the only slasher movie we got that's British is "And Then They Were None" by Ange Agatha Christie. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's like the first yeah. British slasher. Yeah, well, like the Dario Argento stuff, the sort of Jallo, you know, like Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Those mm-hmm. sort of films are like they're very like Agatha Christie-like in a way. They're murder mysteries more than horror films, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, and Who Done It? There's always like the the shock reveal of who 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 did it at the end. There's always that focus on the hands, on the murderer's hands. I watched with my parents. I got them into Giallo. Giallo, I can never... I always say Giallo, but I don't know if that's right. Giallo, I think that, I think that is right. At the beginning of, Chris, beginning of lockdown, I got them into that. I made them watch Audition. Oh, right. And my dad and my mum just sat there. And then at the end, my dad went, oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but we watched Whatever Happened to Solange. Mm. And... That's, I mean, whatever, what happens to the kids, the, the murders are horrible. Like, you sort of think about the way women are killed in Jalo, like Jalo films. Like, it's so female hating. It's so, so evident fear of women, which is sort of why with like Gordon, the way certain men get killed in it because it becomes by the end a slasher because the roles are revel- reversed because it's a gorgon it's like a normal nice taxidermist who's gone a bit Texas Chainsaw Massacre she's unleashing that absolute rage but upon the male form as opposed to the female um, I really enjoyed it it sounds I liked, great so listening, watching so many films where women are so horrifically mutilated I was like I want to do the same but the other way around. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Female uh, eunuch style. <laughs> yeah. How did uh, how did uh, Gorgon come about? How did that start? It was based off something someone had said to me about how they just wished they could keep their daughter locked in a little room in order to make them lose weight. That was what someone said to me in passing. I, it was as a joke. <laughs> Um, but that image stayed in my head and then that was sort of the spurring of something like you know the kernel of a thought and then I love Medusa as a myth and I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I love taxidermy and I let them all ferment and they all percolated and then Gorgon came to be and I made the show live last year at Vault and it was amazing I had such a lovely time and then obviously we wanted to tour it and then lockdown and then I thought let's make this an immersive audio experience because we did loads of sound foley because Jello was really hugely inspirational and Le Grand Guignol all that sort of style mm, of horror yeah, yeah. was a big deal and I liked you know the sort of abominable Dr. Phoebe's like big colours yeah. saturated this almost ridiculous theatricality to death and that was sort of what we put into it. And then we've done that with the sound. And genuinely, I'm so proud of it. 
and I, I was proud as well like ensuring all the everyone involved in the show was paid properly nobody was half done you know when mm. someone's like oh I'll do it for 50 quid as opposed to what this actually would cost because um, you know it's a tough time for everyone mm. so I feel like releasing it on Bandcamp has been such a lovely step and it's just the coming it's the end of not the end of something but it feels like a lovely result yeah. and now I hope people listen to it because it is disgusting <laughs> it definitely sounds like my sort of thing I am very excited to hear it um, and I'd love to sort of see in the live show is there any plans to when you know things are back, a bit more settled and back to normal is there any plan to do it live again or is it, have you retired definitely, it definitely but I, no, definitely, but I mean, we'd have to have to get this sorted first, get yeah, yeah. locked down. And also financially, it takes mm. money to put a show yeah, on it, so yeah. I need to make sure I'm in the space because you can't just constantly be relying on um, Kickstarters to help. You've got to... So, I mean, the life of an artist <laughs> is a bit ruinous, mm. but there we go. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I really hope it does come back to the stage of summer because I'd love to see that. That sounds amazing, yeah. Babe... I'm going to make so much disgusting shit in the future. Like, don't worry. If it's not Gorgon, it's going to be something else that will make you chunder. I loved making people vomit during that show. And that's what I tried to retain in the radio play. So, yeah, sounds great. How like how has horror like affected your work in general then? Like your, um, your live stuff and anything you've done? Well, horror and comedy sort of walk side by side don't they I always think like Lars von Trier does it really well and dance in the dark he makes you laugh one minute and then cry the next and that's sort of how I see it in comedy and horror there's all you're always one beat off either causing a scream or causing a snigger and it depends what reaction you're aiming for it's a tightrope act and then you add in, you know, lighting and sound design and costume and where the audience are sitting and you've you've got yourselves a party, basically. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Like you said, with horror and comedy being like so like close bedfellows, I think that it, it, that is true. Like I think they're the two like when it comes to film and live stuff, they're the only like things that rely on that like of a gut reaction from people. So like laughing or that sort of jump scare I think are so similar. Mm-hmm. Like it's a similar like response. Very physical reactions, really like in the body. That's it, out of all the theatre stars that you can watch, I feel like comedy and horror are really in your body. They affect your breath. And that's the key to comedy and it's the key to horror. You just have to control the breath of the audience. And if you can control their breath and control their heart rate, then you're fine. It takes a long time to get to that ability <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Um, you asked me what films are like really scared me has there any been any for gorgon especially like has there been any like any live theater that's really scared you that you've that has inspired that you know what no i actually i remember when i was 14 i saw the woman in black the woman in black and i couldn't sleep for a week <laughs> or two i was so scared and then i took loads of people over the years i've taken friends and and lots of boyfriends and girlfriends it's always that play that I ended up dating someone and they're like, I've not seen this. And I'm like, ah, I'll take you. Because you could always get, you can always get a good ticket to see the woman because it's been on for yeah, so yeah, long. Yeah. You, so you could always get a ticket in the stalls for like 20 quid. So I've seen that play loads of times. It sounds really weird and quite perverse to have taken like almost all of your partners to see the same play. Um, but it's more just, I think it's such a good stage play. 
it's so use it's such a good thing to watch and see especially all the people I've ever bonked in theatre and they're like oh I need to find a way of using very little props to have this effect I'm like well let's go see the woman in black (laughs) um I remember being desperate to be scared by ghost story and not finding it scary at all and I was really upset because I was so excited to be frightened yeah that's a shame I've not seen Um, the I've seen the film of ghost stories but I've never never seen the um, stage show yeah no I wasn't frightened by it but obviously it's very very good but actually yeah I I think Ghost Watch by Stephen Volk you know the BBC show that really frightened me and made me laugh but really (laughs) frightened me even though it was from so long ago yeah, well, I saw Ghostwatcher, like, a bit of it when it was on TV, when it was actually, like, and I was a child, well, I must have been about eight or nine, and I thought it was real. <laughs> but, again, watching it now, like, I thought, when I, like, got it the DVD, I thought, well, you know, it's not going to scare me now, but it really works. It really, like, it really is affecting. Still it really does. still still holds up, even though the medium is, like, old. I don't think you could get away with something like that now, really. I think people are a bit more switched on with how that sort of thing works. But, yeah, I still think it is very scary. It is scary. It is very scary. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I don't think there's been anything as good and as scary as Ghost as a not as um Ghost, Ghost Watch. Watch. Yeah. I think yeah, it's definitely up there. Well yeah, well thank you for like chatting. That was really lovely. That was great. I love that. And Thanks I'm, for having me. No pleasure. Like I'm really looking forward to listening to uh, Gorgon and uh, and eventually seeing the live show. Uh, I will um, when we can go and see live stuff again. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, it will happen. 